Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the Star Line by an actor, comedian, and TV host. His show, Real Time with Bill Maher, airs on HBO. On tour now, we welcome Bill Maher. Hey, been a while since I've been an actor, but thanks. <laughs> Bill, let's go beyond the mic. You were born in New York, grew up in New Jersey. Comedians used to try and be funny enough to be invited over to Johnny's couch. How has comedy evolved, for the better and for the worse? Wow, um, that's going back a ways. Um, well, Johnny was a completely different era. You know, I would say things, the audience over time, even before him and certainly after, has less and less of an attention span. You know, Johnny's show really breathed. I mean, um, you know, at first, when he was first on the air, believe it or not, he did an hour and 45 a night. And the last guest was usually an author. Uh, it was all conversation. I mean, it was truly a talk show. They've lost that art in a lot of talk shows, not mine. <laughs> we really talk. But um, ours is more of a debate show. I mean, those were more lighter shows to the Johnny Carson era. But at least they talked. It was a conversation. They didn't come out and have to play games or throw water on each other or do any other sort of nonsense. They could actually have a conversation. That kind of has gone away. And um, those shows became a little more of just a party. And uh, there's really not a lot of what you would call content. Um, that's fun, too. But it's just, you know, it's different. And I think it reflects society. What comedian changed the way you see comedy? Probably George Carlin, you know, was more my hero than anybody else. I remember when he died, he was playing a... a hotel in Las Vegas, the Orleans, and he had a residency there. It was a great comedy room. Not a not a great hotel, <laughs> but a great comedy. No, not at all. And uh, when he died, they called me up and said, we think you should take his spot uh, and do the gig he was about to do here that he was booked for. That, to me, was one of the great tributes of my life, because he was the guy who kind of changed comedy and himself, you know, if those, if anybody remember his album from the seventies called AM and FM, AM mm-hmm. was the old George Carlin and the skinny tie and the short haircut. And then FM was the new George Carlin and a t-shirt and long hair and a beard. And it just really reflected the, the changes that society was going through at that time. He started out in the sixties and he was AM and by the time that album came out, he wanted to pay tribute to his old self and also point the way forward to his new self, uh, FM, which was, you know, a lot dirtier, a lot realer, and quite frankly, a lot funnier. Before, if you were angry, you had to write a letter to the editor. Now anyone can get on social media. How has social media and the instant outrage available for anyone changed the way people see comedy? Well, I don't think it's been a good thing for comedy. Um, you know, I did a show called Politically Incorrect in the 90s. And um, even back then, obviously, it was on my radar that political correctness was not good for society and definitely not good for comedy. You know, comedy is all about, let's get real. I mean, I think at its best, obviously, comedy can be anything. You can You can just make funny faces and drop your pants, whatever. But... The kind of comedy that I always adored and try to do is stuff that you're you're saying what other people are thinking and are afraid to say. 
And it's funny because people have been thinking about it and it's brewing in them. And when you make that connection and they go, oh, my God, you know, I've thought that a hundred times. There's something very cathartic about that. So, um, <clears throat> you know, political correctness, social media enforcing political correctness. To me, it's just so sad because it, it should be the young people who are the most outrageous, not the ones who have to stick up their ass. <laughs> very true. It, it's all it's all back. It's all backwards. I want to say to these kids, save some moral outrage for your golden years for crying out loud. You know, when they get mad at me for saying things that are too out there, they're like, oh, you're older now. Yeah, I may be older, but I think and act younger than you do. <clears throat> I'm not the one who needs a clonopin and a trigger warning to get through an episode of Friends. Time's running out, so it's time for the Rocky Nade. Eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure. You've written five bestsellers, but what's the last book you read? Book I read? I read um, this book called um, These Truths by Jill Lepore, who's a great historian. And it's, uh, it's a re- not a rewriting, but um, uh, it's an American history survey book. It goes right from <laughs> the very beginning, 1492, all the way through the Obama administration, I think is when it came out. And... Um, you know, it's compared to the history books I read when I was in, in school, you know, it's just so much more real and more true. And of course, you're covering a lot of history in um, a few hundred pages, so it doesn't go into great detail. But that's okay because I kind of know the detail. Uh, what I like. I think is, we all do. <laughs> well, we remember what we can from school. What's your most used word? I can't say it here. <laughs> I can't say it on... Favorite meal? Well, I eat very carefully because I have to, you know. I mean, as you get older, you better be real careful with your body or else, you know, you're going to look like Ted Kennedy. Um, but if I had, like, my last meal, I would say meatballs and spaghetti. Where's the best place that you like to go to think in L.A.? Oh, that's a great one. Uh, I love Mulholland Drive. I don't know if people know what uh, L.A. looks like. Probably most don't because they don't know this city, just like I don't know other cities. But there's a uh, L.A. is um, built in a t- between two valleys. We call the valley. That's over one side of the hill, uh, and then there's the city on the other side. And the crest of the mountain is a street called Mulholland Drive. It's kind of famous. It's been in movies. It's been the title of stuff. Uh, but it is the street that runs along the very crest of the mountain. So it's kind of dangerous, windy, but for some reason, I always love going up there. If I have some place to go and it has to go through Mulholland Drive, I always feel great about it because it goes, ooh, all the way across this city, but at the very top. So you can look down on either side sometimes. And uh, that's where I do a lot of my best thinking. What scared you as a child? Oh, gosh, a lot of things. I mean, when you're a child, first of all, you're small. Everyone's bigger than you. Um, I remember my father was in radio, uh, news radio. And uh, once in a while, I would get to go to the office, you know. And it was very exciting. But I was, of course, two feet tall. And he would introduce me to the other announcers, you know, who all have these voices. Hello, young man! <laughs> little two-year-old And there they are, because that was the age when they had news every, literally every hour on the hour. And so there was a whole staff 
of newsmen in the room, and they all had these booming voices because that's what it was took to be a newsman. You had to have a hello, young man. It's good to see you, Bob Beecroft. And he'd be like, <laughs> that scared me. Who's the most important person in your life right now? Right now? Um, well, right now, it's probably Joe Biden because, you know, what what goes on in his administration is going to depend on a lot. And whether um, we have a resurgence of the Trump administration uh, or something very much like it, I mean, we are in a place now um, where... <clears throat> We are really in danger of losing what, what made this country great, which is a working democracy. I mean, what do you do when one of the parties in power doesn't believe in your brand of government? Um, people who led the insurrection on January 6th are still in the government. You know, people like uh, Josh Hawley keep saying he's just asking questions. But the question is, why does the winner always have to be the guy with the most votes? Um, I don't know what's going to happen to this country in a, in a, in a place, in a, in this place in history we are now where elections, not the issues in elections, but elections themselves become the issue. That's a really dangerous place when nobody believes who won the election. I mean, we see what ha what happens in other countries when that goes on and it's not pretty and it's not good and it doesn't lead toward, um, a peaceful, progressive, moving forward type of government. So I just hope that the next election isn't the last one. What's the one thing you have to do first thing in the morning? Hey, <laughs> what are you, what are you crazy? Of course. You can do a comedy show with three other comedians alive or dead. Who's on that stage with you? Oh, I'd like to work with my friends so I could go on the road. I mean, the, some of the greatest memories I have or of my early years when we all worked together, you know, because we were young and we were starting out and we were put on a bill together. None of us were famous or even close to it. So we were, we were all herded together. And so, you know, that would be a fun thing. To, and it'll never happen again. You know, I'll never be on a bill uh, uh, now with Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David and Carol Leifer or something like that. But that, to me, would be the most fun. It's time for one big question with the host of Real Time with Bill Maher. Bill, what will it take to fix the United States political system, or has it been broken beyond repair? That's a really great question. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know, first of all. Of course, no one knows. But I would say I would give this advice to getting us a little bit back into where we used to be. People have got to stop talking about politics all the time. We never used to do this. People, it was literally considered rather rude to talk about religion or politics. I remember when I was a kid, my parents had friends who I think they knew. I heard them sometimes talk behind closed doors about what they thought were the politics of this other person and they weren't maybe so fond of it. But it never came up in conversation. We didn't talk politics about everything. We had no idea how much we hated each other, and it worked so much better. It doesn't work. It never works to try to talk politics with someone else and convince them of your side. Name one time that ever worked. It would be like trying to talk Tom Cruise out of Scientology. Your politics to your politics. Keep it to yourself. Facebook. 
Why are people arguing on Facebook with some kid they went to third grade with about Brett Kavanaugh? That's why we hate each other so much. Facebook should go back to being about cat videos and humble brags and finding out who from high school is gay, fat, or dead. That's all it should be. Stop talking politics all the time. I try to avoid sex, religion, politics, and Facebook here. Okay. (laughs) 41 Emmy nominations can't be wrong. Coming to a sold-out theater near you, we thank Bill Maher for taking the time to talk with us today. I thank you very much, John. Take care. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.